I wonder if you've ever received one of these. This is an email I received that is designed to deceive me into handing over my personal information to scammers. It sounds legit. It looks like something that might have happened. This one is telling, telling you that my last payment didn't go through and that I need to validate my card details. But it's a scam. If I fell for it, my credit card details would be in the wrong hands and I could lose everything. How do I know it's a scam? How do I know that the person who sent this email intends to harm me? Well, I listened to what the company say. They told me they would never ask for card details or personal information over email. They warned me not to fall for emails like these. I also look at the original. I look at legitimate emails that I received in the past and so I know what an authentic email looks like. When I first started getting these, it was quite hard to distinguish what was real and what was fake. They were quite sophisticated. I had to look really closely at the fake emails to work it out. But as soon as I heard that there were people trying to deceive me and when I learned how they were trying to go about it, it wasn't long before I could tell a true email from a false email straight away and I could protect myself from their devious schemes. Now, I'm telling you about scam emails because the believers in Thessalonica had a similar issue. They obviously didn't get emails in ancient Greece, they definitely didn't have Netflix, but they have received a letter that looked legit. It seemed as if the Apostle Paul himself had written it, but this letter was written and sent by false teachers who only intended to disrupt and to harm the church. It described events that to the Thessalonians sounded like they could realistically have happened. It claimed that the Lord Jesus had already come back. The rumours began to spread that they had been left behind and this was causing the believers in Thessalonica to become alarmed and unsettled. Didn't Paul tell us that Jesus was going to come back? How did we miss it? We've missed the boat. Perhaps this was even adding to their concerns about the persecution they were facing. If Jesus has already come back, then why are we still suffering for our faith? Does this mean that things are never going to be better than this? You can see how believing this lie could easily lead them to fall away from the faith and lose everything. Because if Jesus has already come back, then suffering for being a Christian just isn't worth it anymore. No doubt the warning bells were going off in Paul's head as he heard the report of what was going on in Thessalonica. This is going to have to be addressed. And so, as we read this chapter, we get to see Paul operate like an anti-corruption officer. He's going to root out this false teaching that has wormed its way inside the church and prevent it from happening again. On the whole, this chapter is an appeal that the Thessalonians won't be deceived by false teaching. That's how Paul begins and ends this chapter. That's his main idea. But to do this anti-corruption job well, he's going to have to do a couple of things. Paul gives them a revision class, if you like, as he goes over what the Thessalonians forgot. He needs to get this issue straight. He tackles the content of this letter head on by sketching out a timetable as to how it's all really going to end. And after that, we can see Paul comfort the people who are no doubt feeling sorry for themselves after falling for this scam. Paul anticipates that those people will be doubting their faith and he wants to encourage them. So let's see what we can learn from Paul as he gets to work sorting this issue out. And we're going to start by looking at Paul's revision class, how he puts the record straight. And the lesson he wants to revise with the Thessalonians is this. 
God has his hold on history. God has his hold on history. The first half of this chapter has caused an enormous amount of speculation throughout the years. Lots of world leaders throughout history have been accused of being the man of lawlessness. But when we come to these verses, we need to lay all that speculation aside and think about what Paul was trying to achieve. He is aiming to reassure the Thessalonians that Jesus hasn't returned yet and that it will be abundantly obvious when he does. This is evidently something he taught them when he was with them. In verse 5, Paul says, Don't you remember I used to tell you these things? So Paul is retracing the timeline of events that will occur when history is finally wrapped up. He's going back over something he's already taught them when he was with them. And he's saying that shortly before Christ comes back, there will be a rebellion. This rebellion will be led by a man who will exalt himself and proclaim himself to be God. And sadly, this leader of the rebellion will lead many people astray. He will work in the same way the devil works, using all sorts of deception. And in this case, that will take the form of counterfeit signs and wonders to make himself look like the real deal. But as Paul retraces this timeline, he's really reminding the Thessalonians what he taught them about God and the return of Christ. And the main point of this teaching is that God is completely sovereign over world events. Paul writes that God is restraining the secret power of lawlessness. He's restraining the powers of evil that are at work in this world to oppose God's law. God is pulling the handbrake. He's actively preventing things from being as bad as they could be. In other words, things only ever get so bad before God will do something. It's like he's holding back a disobedient God and he will only let it go so far away from him before he pulls it back. Human rebellion will keep reaching a certain point until God says enough is enough and he acts to rein it in. History will keep repeating itself. Human beings will keep ignoring God's law and rebelling against him until this final rebellion comes. And that final rebellion will only be allowed to happen when God decides. Verse 6 tells us that God is holding back the man who will kickstart this rebellion until the proper time. God is the one who will decide when this final rebellion will be allowed to start. Because when this rebellion does come, it means the return of Christ is imminent. And on that day, the man of lawlessness, this rebel, will be completely destroyed. And we know that because according to verse 3, he's a man doomed to destruction. And verse 8 says that the Lord Jesus will overthrow him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendour of his coming. As easy as it is, for us to blow out a match, the Lord Jesus will just snuff this man out. This man who set himself up as God doesn't have any power whatsoever that could challenge the Lord Almighty. So there's no point trying to work out who this man of lawlessness is. If he comes when we're still around, you'll know. It will be obvious. The main thing we need to take from these verses is that our God is completely in control. History is in his hands. God will bring down the curtain when he wants to. What a relief for the Thessalonians to know that they haven't missed the boat. Jesus hasn't come back yet. As Paul gives them this recap, those who have been led astray would have come to their senses. Of course, that letter and all these rumours aren't true. What they are saying completely contradicts what Paul told us when he was here. Maybe you need to hear this recap. 
Maybe this revision class is coming just at the right time for you. Perhaps when you look around, you just get so discouraged when you see a world that's becoming more and more rebellious. But remember that God is holding history. God is not responsible for human rebellion or the powers that have set themselves up to oppose his law. And one day he will hold them all to account. Yet at the same time, there is nothing that is not under his control. The powers of lawlessness at work in this world have to obey his voice. They are on a short leash. God will either act before things get out of hand or Christ will return in power. So do not be dismayed. When you're discouraged by the state of our world, trust in him and rest in the knowledge of his sovereign power. Nothing that happens in this world takes him by surprise or is above his control. Okay, so Paul has finished his revision class. Now, I want you to imagine you were sitting in Thessalonica and you were one of the people who fell hook, line and sinker for the false teaching that was in this letter. You're sitting there and as Paul's letter gets read out to you, you begin to feel it a bit stupid that you were taken in so easily. Some of the people who didn't believe all these lies, they glance a look in your direction and you feel even worse. You might even be worried that because you were deceived, you're one of the people that Paul described in verse 12, who will be condemned in that day for not believing the truth. But Paul has these people in mind and in his next breath, he immediately moves to reassure them. And he wants to reassure them that God has his hold on believers. God has his hold on believers. Look with me to verse 13 and 14. But we, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is reassuring these believers that when he is describing those who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness, he certainly does not mean them. When Paul said that, he was referring to those who will be deceived by this man of lawlessness during this final rebellion. And to make sure they don't think he means them, he is careful to describe the believers in Thessalonica in sharp contrast. Paul wants to make that crystal clear that these Thessalonians are loved by the Lord. They have been chosen by God as firstfruits to be saved. And they are being saved through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and through their belief in the truth. This is what God called them to when they believed the gospel. And because of God's saving grace, one day they too will share in Christ's glory. On that day when Christ comes to crush this rebellion and bring justice, they will be among those who will be glorified in Christ. As Paul said at the very beginning of this chapter in verse 1, they will be gathered to Christ. They will be snatched up into God's loving arms away from trouble. Paul is very intentionally showing them that their salvation is the work of God on every level. He is the one that drew them to himself and he is the one holding them now. He loved them, chose them, called them and destined them for glory right from the beginning. God is sovereign over the salvation of his people. God isn't going to let go of the believers who have fallen for the lies in this letter. No, he's going to be actively working by his spirit through his word to keep them in the truth. Paul reassures these believers that they're the opposite of the people who 
will be deceived and love wickedness. The Thessalonians have believed the truth and are being sanctified by the Spirit. Maybe you're listening to this and you can relate to the Thessalonians who are taken in by this letter. You believe in Jesus, but there have been times when you've misunderstood something or believed something that you later found out was wrong. Perhaps that threw you and caused you to doubt your salvation because you just feel like there's so much you don't understand. Everyone else just seems to know so much more than me. I always have the wrong answers. No one else makes the mistakes I make in the Bible study. When we have doubts like that, we need to remember that God is holding us. If we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we have repented of our sin and asked God for forgiveness, and we recognise a desire in our hearts to grow in Christ-likeness, then we know that we have the Holy Spirit. We could never do any of that on our own. That's something that only God can do in those he has chosen and called. So don't be embarrassed if you say something wrong in a Bible study or you don't understand parts of the Bible. Welcome to the club. God is still correcting and shaping every single one of us by his Holy Spirit as we open his word and strive to know him more. God is constantly ironing out errors in our thinking and teaching us things we don't know yet. We aren't supposed to feel that we have all the answers. Every day we are to come humbly to his word and ask him to change how we think and how we live. We are to recognise that we need his grace for every day and ask God to continue bringing us into a greater knowledge and love for the truth. We need God to open our eyes. If you are someone who is in a position of sharing God's word with others, maybe leading a small group or maybe you meet with someone to read the Bible, Notice how Paul treats these believers who believe something that was wrong. He doesn't laugh at them or mock them. He doesn't make them feel bad. He puts the arm round and he reminds them that God is not going to let them go. He gets this issue straightened out tenderly and gently. What an example for all those of us who teach the word in any context. Are we teaching in a way that just shows off what we know and makes others feel like they aren't good enough? Or like Paul, are we correcting people and teaching the truth with patience and with grace? Let's remember that God is the one who's at work in every believer to help them believe the truth. Let's love people like God loved us. Let's allow the knowledge that God is holding us, enable us to lovingly get our arm around those in our family who need to be discipled. Okay, so Paul's anti-corruption job is nearly done. He has dealt with the content of this false letter. He's comforted those who have been taken in by it. Paul has one final thing he wants to do as he finishes out the job of dealing with these false teachers who are disrupting the church. In light of all that he has said so far, he wants to tell them how to avoid false teaching in the future. And this is his appeal. So hold on to the truth. So hold on to the truth. In verse 15 to 17, Paul says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God our Father, who loved us and by his grace give us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. After hearing what Paul has just said, it would be quite logical for the Thessalonians to conclude that They can relax and take it easy. God's going to save us. He's not going to let us go. Great, we can put the feet up. 
But Paul's logic is quite unexpected. He says the opposite. It's not as if they are in a self-driving car and all they need to do is punch in the destination. He appeals to the Thessalonians to stand firm and hold fast to the teachings that were passed on to them. He prays that by, the, by his grace, God would encourage and strengthen them in every good deed and word. The Thessalonians still have to take action to stay on the right road. They still have to hold on to God's word and do what it says. We can't push God's sovereignty to the point that we deny human responsibility. These believers aren't just to let go and let God. Now that they know that there are false teachers out to deceive them, to do nothing would be a sign that the Spirit isn't at work. If the Spirit is at work in them, which he is, then they will listen to God's word that has come to them through Paul in this letter and take action. They will stand firm and hold fast to the teaching that was passed on by Paul and others who have taught them the gospel. Now this is a challenge that still strongly applies to us today. You might be thinking this is quite an obscure problem that the Thessalonians faced. How often do we hear claims that Jesus has come back, let alone believe them? Surely this isn't an issue that we ever have in church. But even though this particular issue isn't one that we would expect to face very often, it's so important that we hear Paul's appeal in this passage because the consequences for being taken in by false teaching are no less serious today. Whether it's the prosperity gospel, the word of faith movement, teaching that denies the Bible is inspired by God or that Christ is fully God and fully man, whatever the false teaching is that we are likely to come up against today, we need to treat it like we should treat scam emails. Just like I needed to know that people were actually sending emails intended to harm me, we need to know that there are people who are out to deceive the church. In verse 3, Paul says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. We need to be on our guard that there are people around who teach things that aren't true. And secondly, just like I was able to check the scam emails against the real ones to see what was fake and what was not, we need to check everything we hear against the teaching of Christ and his apostles in the New Testament. That's what it means to hold fast to the teachings that have been passed on to us as Paul commands us in verse 12. We need to use scripture like we would use a UV pen on a banknote to check for a forgery. Letting the Bible reveal to us what is truth and what is trying to deceive us. If what someone is saying doesn't align with what the Bible says then we need to disregard it and steer clear of it. Unlike Paul, we need to help younger Christians do the same. Now just as we come to a close tonight, what is it that you need to take away from this passage of scripture? Maybe you are increasingly dismayed by the world around us. Remember that God has his hold on history. There is nothing that is outside his control. He won't let his people endure the evil of this world for too long before he steps in. And one day he will get rid of the power of lawlessness once and for all. Maybe you have had times where you have felt inadequate for believing something that isn't true. Remember that God is holding you and that his spirit is at work in you to open your eyes to the truth. Keep trusting in him and asking for his help to understand the true gospel. Or perhaps you have become a little bit complacent about false teaching and needed a reminder to stay alert. 
let's keep testing everything we hear against scripture. Let's stay on our toes and hold fast to the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the reminder in it that you are in control of history, that you are sovereign over all things and you are sovereign over our salvation, that you loved us, you chose us and you called us uh, to believe in your gospel and that you have destined us for glory. Lord God, I pray that you would keep us in that marvellous truth, that we would Hold fast to the teachings of Christ and the apostles in the New Testament. That you would keep us in your word and that you would keep sanctifying us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray all these things in the holy and precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.